Welcome to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. For free rankings, player values, waiver wire tips, and trade advice, follow him online at dynastyfreaks.com or email dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. Hello and greetings from Austin, Texas. Welcome all of you Dynasty Freaks. Admit it, you're addicted to Dynasty. I am too. My name is Justin Christopher and I'm a Dynasty Freak, which means I love drafting, trading, and scouting and managing all of my teams 365 days a year. So do you. So let's talk some Dynasty on episode number 205. It's going to be number week eight in review. I apologize again for missing last week on the podcast, but I was in Israel having a great time uh, touring the country and learning a lot. Uh, you guys know that I'm a pastor, and so it was a great educational trip for me. Great time. Uh, appreciate the week off, but here I am back. Uh, my Israel trip actually returned on Sunday just before kickoff, so I got home about 1130 uh, Central Time and was able to watch uh, week number eight. And it was pretty easy to fight off the jet lag while watching the exciting and extremely high-scoring games this week. The week eight performances led to blowout wins in fantasy matchups or top-scoring teams getting beat by even higher-scoring teams, which stinks when that happens to you. I hope that you are on the right end of it instead of the wrong side of it. When you're in a nine dynasty leagues like I am, I likely uh, felt some of each, <laughs> the victories and the defeats by these high-scoring teams. Either way, after following all the Week 8 games, here are some of my observations from a Dynasty perspective. Uh, first thing I'll mention is the trade deadline. I uh, didn't really get a chance to report on my thoughts on some of the trades that went down both before I left for Israel and even while I was in Israel. Uh, two huge uh, running back trades went down uh, before I left for Israel and one while I was, was in Israel. Uh, this Sunday we saw the full impact of these trades too. So Christian McCaffrey was traded to the 49ers, and he had a fair game with the team last week in a limited role after the trade, but a huge game this week once he was fully incorporated into the offense. I think the addition of McCaffrey to the team uh, crushes the dynasty value of Elijah Mitchell, who is now just one of the top handcuffs in the league once he returns from injury, and dropped Jeff Wilson's dynasty value to the floor. Uh, as for McCaffrey, there was really like little room for him to increase his dynasty value, but he gets a deserved bump after joining this extremely innovative offensive system which makes the most of their players' talents. Uh, case in point this week, uh, CMC uh, scored touchdowns, uh, one on the ground, one through the air, and one throwing a touchdown pass. Amazing. Uh, what concerns uh, dynasty managers, though, is the possibility that the addition to, of CMC uh, limits the touches of Debo Samuel and George Kittle, the two players with the most significant dynasty value on their team, uh, aside from CMC now. Uh, it leads to kind of that kind of age-old question uh, of whether a top-tier player improves the entire offense and then kind of floats all boats in the dynasty landscape, or if a top-tier player actually cuts into the workload of others. And I believe the latter in this case. I think that Kittle and Samuel's dynasty value dips just a little bit for the foreseeable future now that CMC's on the team. As for McCaffrey, uh, he's hit a new sell-high point for sure. I've decided that I need to rebuild in the only league where I have CMC, so I'm going to attempt to sell him this week. Um, pretty wild. I'm hoping that I can actually sell him and attempt to get you know, picks or acquire younger talents, such as an injured player like Brees Hall. So Hall's season-ending ACL injury created the environment for the next big trade that went down when James Robinson got traded to the Jets. Uh, his trade shifted the dynasty value of several players for sure, the greatest of which was Travis Etienne. More on him in a minute. But Michael Carter, he seemed poised to capture most of the touches for the Jets after the injury until the Jets complicated matters by acquiring Robinson. They also made the backfield even more complicated in Week 8, including Ty Johnson in the rotation, which is pretty frustrating. Uh, like CMC, Robinson may just need more than one week to get you know the featured role in New York, but I assume that he will, if only for this season, though. 
Robinson, in my opinion, is a stopgap fill-in for this season, and he's going to be with a new team next year after his contract expires this season. The Jets, I think, are going to go back to Hall and Carter as the rotation for the future. Contending Dynasty teams may do well to acquire Robinson for the rest of this season, just like the Jets did, but the Dynasty value ultimately takes a hit uh, after this trade. Hall's the Jets player that I try to you know trade for the most on the Jets. He's the ideal player to acquire for you know from contending teams who may be willing to give up Hall and a pick for you know a starting running back that can help them push toward the playoffs. I plan to shop uh, Nick Chubb and Christian McCaffrey for Hall and some picks this week in some of my rebuilding teams. As I write this on Monday evening, uh, the trade deadline's tomorrow, and so it will be fun to see what other NFL trades get done tomorrow and how they impact the dynasty value of all the other players. It'll be fun to report about next week. Next comment that I'll make is what I'll call taking over. You know, as I mentioned just now, Travis Etienne's dynasty value increased the most last week after Robinson was traded from the Jaguars. The trade was a clear statement of confidence that Etienne and his ability uh, to be the RB1. Uh, he proved it in spades on Sunday when he made tackle-breaking runs one after another, compiling 156 yards on the ground. I will admit that, unfortunately, I could not watch the game in uh, that morning from London because on my flight home from Israel, they kind of blocked ESPN+, Plus, but I was able to at least follow ESPN on the internet, follow the, day, the play-by-play, and then yesterday I heard from several analysts that I trust that ETN looked fantastic. Uh, he had 80% of the snaps and 79% of the snaps the last two weeks, and he's become a very reliable RB1 that Dynasty managers uh, who drafted him um, or traded for him last season after his injury are very happy that their patient was amazing too. Is at Clemson, he was you know kind of just a big play waiting to happen, uh, averaging 7.2 yards in his college career. But here in the NFL this year so far, now that he's back healthy, a stellar 6.2 yards per carry. Uh, Dynasty managers who are patient with ETN or maybe traded for him last year while he was injured, uh, like I'm suggesting that someone try to do for Brees Hall, uh, they're reaping the benefits of it right now, that's for sure. Next thing I'll say is uh, the call-up. The call-up. It's time to call up tight end, a tight end off the taxi squad and place him directly into starting lineups. Uh, after being activated from the IR, Greg Dulcich has proved himself in Denver the last three weeks. He's earned a starting role in dynasty lineups, I believe. Uh, he's been targeted deep downfield the previous three weeks and ran routes on Sunday in 91% of Denver's pass plays. So he is not a blocking tight end. He is a pass-catching tight end. Uh, he's one of the most productive. Uh, he's been the most second most productive pass catcher on the Broncos. Uh, he was the most productive this week, and he was the second most productive the last two weeks, uh, just behind Jerry Judy. Uh, sadly for Court and Sutton's managers, he's essentially he meaning Dulcich. He's essentially become the wide receiver too. You might call it uh, second pass catcher behind Jerry Judy. Uh, I had Dulcich much higher in my rookie rankings than other dynasty managers and analysts, and so I have him on three of my nine dynasty rosters. So I'm excited to add him. To my starting lineups in coming weeks, and he's a player that I'm going to try to trade for and acquire in trades this week, particularly on my rebuilding teams. Maybe I could offer an older, maybe currently more productive tight end uh, for Dulcich and some picks when I'm trying to rebuild. Next thing I'll mention is I'll call it uh, decision time. Decision time. Uh, speaking of rebuilding teams, um, I'm, I'm uh, calling it quits on a few of my teams. After eight weeks of the season, uh, my greatest assets on those teams are Christian McCaffrey, Nick Chubb, Travis Kelsey, again, Keenan Allen, and Dallas Goddard. Uh, man, I need a breakout from Keenan Allen in the coming weeks. He needs to get back healthy for him to become a better trade target. But right now, CMC, Chubb, Goddard, and Kelsey are uh, are the players that are really at sell high points right now. Chubb's value could rise even more if he has a great game tonight 
or if Kareem Hunt uh, gets traded tomorrow. Uh, these are the four or five of my you know top players in the, in the league, the players I like the most. But I need to move on from them and begin rebuilding my team uh, through the draft. It's going to be tough to offer up these players because they're some of my favorites. But after eight weeks, uh, the writing is on the wall for a few of my teams. Uh, next week, I hope that in the trade column, when I write about the trades, I hope that I can write about several trades that I've made uh, to sell these players that I love uh, to try to start rebuilding some of my teams and acquire more draft picks. If I'm honest, um, I think one of my weaknesses as a dynasty manager is uh, my constant willingness to fight for the final playoff spot. I do that in so many leagues, hoping that I can then, you know, once you get in the playoffs, just upset some teams. But I need to get better at knowing when my roster is not competitive, competitive enough to win a Super Bowl. And I'm going to take step this week to work on this weakness of mine. Next thing I'll say is uh, steps forward and steps back. It's pretty interesting. Several young quarterbacks are taking a giant step forward while others are really falling back. Uh, Justin uh, Fields and Tua Tagovailoa uh, are playing great and showing significant improvement, while Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and Mac Jones are moving in the other direction. The first, uh, only three first-round quarterbacks in the 2020 and 2021 class, that being Jalen Hurts, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, have really established themselves as dynasty starters, while the others are really taking steps forward or back. And after um, mentioning on the podcast several weeks ago, I think maybe after week four, how Justin Fields was playing terribly, um, I have to eat my words and admit that he's improving tremendously over the last few weeks. The Bears are finally letting him cut loose on the ground and throw just a few more passes. Fields completed, listen to improve it, Fields completed 52% of his passes in weeks one to four, but he's completed 65% of his passes in weeks five to eight. Huge difference. He's also throwing the ball six more times per game in that span. Still pretty small pass count, but but uh, better at least. Best of all, from a fantasy perspective, He's averaging 31 more yards rushing per game over the last four weeks compared to the first four. Uh, he still has much to improve, and he needs definitely needs better weapons around him to take a Josh Allen kind of leap here in his second year. But he's on his way. And the same can be said for Tua, who has two of the best receivers in the league to feed and a coach who knows how to feed them. Uh, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle can make any quarterback look good, but Tua's the captain of this offense, and he's making it go. I went back and looked at this, and get this, Tua's actually 5-0 and in games when he started and finished the game. And the Dolphins are 0-3 when he's not. What's the common ground? It's Tua. He's making the leap in his third season. Uh, he does less on the ground than Fields, but he does far more through the air, completing 70% of his passes and 314 yards per game in the games that he's played from start to finish. Uh, Fields and Tuna, uh, Tua have now uh, joined Herbert, Burrow, and Hertz as every week starting quarterbacks in one-quarterback leagues. But the same cannot be said for Zach Wilson, whose erratic play is hurting his team and dynasty teams. Mac Jones as well. He's had two chances to fight off calls for Taylor Zappi to take his uh, Zappi to take his place, uh, and he hasn't quieted the conversation these last two weeks. Uh, Wilson and Jones could be replaced next year if they don't show improvement quickly. But then Trevor Lawrence, given his pedigree, he's got a little bit longer leash, uh, but he's just not come close to living up to the quote best product, best prospect since Andrew Luck. Uh, he's, he's had that label, but he's not come close to living up to it. Uh, Lawrence, Wilson, and Jones combined for five interceptions on Sunday, and they really need to show significant improvement before they can be trusted as starters in dynasty lineups. Certainly starting in uh, super flex leagues, but man, in one quarterback leagues, they're not ready to start yet. So disappointing. Uh, some are moving forward, but encouraging that some are moving back. Love what Tua is doing. Love what Justin Field is doing. 
couple more comments from this week. Uh, next one I'll call it the replacements. Uh, several teams have far more productive backup running backs than they do starting ones, but only one has been willing to make the change. Over the last few weeks, Ramondi Stevenson has taken over the RB1 role in New England ahead of Damien Harris. Uh, it took an injury to Harris for the change to fully take place, though Stevenson was steadily cutting into Harris's role before his injury. Uh, he's far surpassed Harris in dynasty value now. Uh, what's more impressive, though, is that Stevenson has been surprisingly effective in the passing game with four, eight, and seven catches the last three weeks. Coach Bilicek has wisely made the change, while two other coaching staffers have stubborn, stubbornly refused to do so. Tony Pollard has scored better than Ezekiel Elliott in almost every possible metric, and the same can be said, though the difference is less stark between Khalil Herbert and David Montgomery. Uh, Pollard finally got a chance to start this week with Zeke sideline with an injury, and he rewarded Cowboys and Dynasty managers with three touchdowns and 33 fantasy points. Even so, I expect the Cowboys uh, to give Zeke the leading role when he returns from his injury, though Pollard's going to start to get a little bit more touches than before, I believe. And then on the Chicago front, Montgomery you know, missed week four with an injury, but Herbert didn't have a Pollard-like performance in his absence in that one game. Still, Herbert uh, has cut into Montgomery's work since that time and has scored just five fewer points than Montgomery since that time, even though he's playing uh, far less plays. Here's crazy. Herbert averages 6.2 yards per carry compared to Montgomery's 3.9, but the Chicago coaching staff refuses to make the change to Herbert. From a dynasty perspective, Herbert has the best pathway to future leading role, uh, given that Montgomery's in his contract year. In Dallas, however, it's quite the opposite. Zeke is signed through 2026, and Pollard's contract is the one that expires after this season. After this season. Stevenson, going back to Ramondre, uh, he's an every-week starter now that he's solidified an RB1 role. While the Cowboys and Bears backs are startable in deep leagues, but really have a low ceiling week to week because they're you know, kind of like more like flex plays until one of them can earn a more significant role on their team. It's frustrating to watch when one player is clearly better than the others, but coaches refuse to make that change. At least there's hope for Herbert next year. I'm not sure what Dallas is going to do with Pollard uh, in the future from a dynasty perspective. Frustrating to see these backups play better than the players in front of them, yet the coaches' staff still refuses to make it, let it happen. Last thing I'll mention uh, by way of observation before we talk waiver wire and trades is I'll call it, look what I found. Uh, look what Carolina found and look what dynasty managers found. They found a surprise running back that pops up midseason, leading Dynasty team to victories, maybe even in a playoff run. They found Deontay Foreman, hook him horns. After Foreman's second 108-yard rushing day in a row, two weeks in a row, and this week his three-touchdown performance, Foreman is possibly poised to be this year's surprise sleeper to end the season. After Chuba Hubbard was declared out last week, Dynasty managers confidently put Foreman in their starting lineups and were rewarded with 30 two uh, fantasy points. I won a game because of Foreman. I lost a game because of him. And now I need 19 points from T. Higgins tonight, or I'm going to lose another game thanks to Foreman. And, uh, in his senior season at uh, UT, he had one of the top yardage seasons in NCAA history. And he's emerged you know, as a fantasy starter during his, or fantasy impact player during his rookie season in Houston before he tore his Achilles on a very long touchdown run. Sad to see someone score a touchdown and tear their Achilles. That was way back in 2017. It's crazy. Now, five years later, he's a fantasy factor again, and he's only 26 years old, too. Carolina's future roster and coaching staff are entirely up in the air, and Foreman's on a one-year contract, so it's hard to determine if Foreman is just a great piece to acquire and ride to end the season, or if he has staying power from a dynasty pr perspective. 
uh, while, while talking here, I just saw that he was placed on the tra- on the trading block in one of my leagues. I expect that he's going to be one of the most traded players in active leagues this week for sure. It's going to be fun to see where Dynasty managers uh, land on Foreman. Now, he's definitely a player worth acquiring on contending teams, but he may also see his Dynasty value rebound by the end of the season. Uh, rebuilding teams like Carolina rarely target running back position in the draft or try- as they're trying to rebuild, so there's a good possibility that they're actually going to offer Foreman a modest contract since they're the team uh, that believed in him at the end of the season. Uh, kind of got to wait and see on this one. Uh, but Foreman, man, look what I found. Dynasty managers can say the same thing. Let's talk a little waiver wire. I always try to give you this uh, podcast out early on Tuesday morning so you can think about some waiver uh, requirements from a Dynasty perspective. Uh, remember that I do play in leagues with 300 to 360 players rostered. And so that's real Dynasty leagues. If you're in uh, leagues with you know fewer roster spots, there's certainly better players. But in true dynasty leagues, the 300 to 360 players rostered here are the few players that I'm interested in this week. Uh, first, I'll couple these together would be Nikhil Harry and Dante Pettis. Now, I'm doing it again. I'm buying back in on Pettis and Harry. It's so dumb. Uh, both were first round draft picks for me uh, back in the class of 2018 and 2019, but both were major busts from dynasty players. Yet, they've emerged as starting receivers again in Chicago, possibly. Pettis' snap count has been steadily increasing as the season's progressed, and he actually surpassed Equinemius St. Brown in snaps on Sunday. And then to kill Harry, in uh, week two of his return off of IR, he actually had more snaps than Pettis. But Pettis had more, re- received more targets. Harry, however, scored the touchdown, so he had a better fantasy day. Uh, the Bears' passing game is one of the least productive in the league, that's for sure, but his field continues to improve. That could change. Uh, while Pettis and Harry fight for the wide receiver two spot behind Darnell Mooney, for sure. I'd bid on both of these guys this week. I think I'd favor Harry uh, over Pettis just slightly, but I kind of want to wait and see uh, who's really going to emerge. Uh, Cole Komet certainly hasn't emerged as the second targeted player like I thought he would, and so someone's got to get the second most targets behind Darnell Mooney. And like I already said, field's improving, so there's a chance that one of these Chicago guys uh, really could become a fantasy factor in deep leagues. So Nikhil Harry, Dante Pettis, they're definitely players I'm making bids on this week. Next player I mentioned, I'm probably not going to bid on, but I'll mention him as Ronnie Rivers. Uh, given the Cam Akers situation, his kind of outs with the team, Rivers was picked up in most of my dynasty leagues last week, uh, but he's still available in some of my leagues when I look this week. He played fewer snaps, uh, played just three fewer snaps than Daryl Henderson on Sunday, and played ahead of Malcolm Brown. Uh, he didn't look great, uh, so you got to take that uh, for what you will. Um, I don't think he's a great pickup from a dynasty perspective, but it's possible that he could fit in, you know, an emergency flex position. You know, on weeks like this, when there's six, six teams on bye weeks, uh, there's going to be a few more of those coming up. Rivers might be a player worth worth adding, although I don't really love it from a dynasty perspective like I do with Harry or Pettis. Those are the players I'm thinking about this week on the waiver wire. Let's talk some trades. Uh, These are really trades that were made over the last two weeks since I haven't done a podcast in a few weeks. There's really only three. All of them took place in one of my leagues, the Die Hard League. Man, the Diehards, they love to trade. I love uh, being part of my Die Hard League. Uh, here are some thoughts on some trades. Uh, James Robinson was traded for a twenty for two 2024 second-round picks. James Robinson for two 2024 second-round picks. As I kind of hinted earlier, I think it's particularly risky from a dynasty perspective to trade for Robinson. Uh, he's in the final year of his contract. The Jets made uh, this move when they were 5-2, and two, and they felt like they were in a playoff window. And so I think this is just a stopgap move for them. Uh, Brees Hall is going to be back with them next year, and he will... Uh, dominate, you know, the the backfield touches as he did, you know, by the time he got injured this last uh, in his rookie season. 
Uh, the team added Robinson, in my opinion, just to try to stay as a contender. Uh, but more, uh, that's just what they're, what they're trying to do. I could see how Dynasty managers might want to add him, but it really would just be for this year, not from a Dynasty perspective. In this trade in particular, the team that received the picks is in full-scale rebuild mode, and so they added two more picks to their rebuilding plan. Uh, his team is now has now three first and second round picks in 2023. <laughs> so three first round, three second round picks in 2023, and now has two first and two second round picks in 2024. So he's really set his team up well for the future. I like what he's doing from a rebuilding standpoint. I think I like the picks over Robinson in this case. Next trade that went down was Tyler Higby. He was traded for Isaiah Pacheco and David Bell. Interesting trade, two rookies for Tyler Higby. Uh, in this trade, a very competitive, competitive team was just a very tight end needy team. Stacked team, just needed a tight end. And so he made this trade for Higby and he gave up two of the rookie prospects in Pacheco and Bell. Uh, this came, this trade came right after the news that Pacheco was going to be named the starter uh, for the game uh, two weeks ago. Uh, Higby started the season on fire as Matt Stafford's second most targeted player behind uh, Cooper Cup. But he's really slowed down significantly the last two weeks. There was a bye week in there too. So over the last three weeks, you could say, including the bye week, um, Higby has really slowed down largely because they've had him in to block a lot since the offensive line has played so horribly. Uh, things may change, but the team acquiring Higby may have bought him at the exact wrong time. Uh, Pacheco didn't see much of a bump in his touches even after being named the starter last week. Uh, he only touched the ball eight times, while Kansas City continues to distribute the ball more evenly, apart from Travis Kelsey, the most any team in the league. And Bell, as for David Bell, he was one of my favorite rookies in the class, but he's really yet to produce fantasy points or solidify a starting role with the run-heavy Browns. That said, the Browns are four weeks away from having Deshaun Watson as their starting quarterback, and the offense could really open up with Watson starting. I much prefer the package side of this deal, especially given the timing of events and how these offenses are changing with Higby blocking more than he's running routes and Pacheco getting a starting role, David Bell having Watson uh, returning. Uh, definitely like the rookie side of this pick, or this trade, rather. Final trade, Terry McLaurin was traded for a 2023 first and third round pick. 2023 first and third for Terry McLaurin. It's close. This is a close trade, but I think I'd rather have the two picks than McLaurin. Uh, McLaurin has just far underperformed his expectations this season. While Jahan Dotson has been, even while Jahan Dotson has been out for several weeks, I think once Dotson gets back in there, he's going to cut into McLaurin's time as well. Uh, he's good, you know, for one or two big plays a week, but he's really lacked the consistency of a player drafted in the first round of rookie drafts. Uh, that said, the team that acquired McLaurin is 7-0, and and McLaurin's the final piece of his starting lineup in the flex position that can give him just enough juice to carry his team into the playoffs. So I like what he did there. And the pick he gave up, because he's got such a great record, is undoubtedly going to be a very late pick in the draft. So it's not a bad trade for him, given the context of his team and this league. On the other hand, the team that received the picks is 0-7 and now has two first-round picks and three third-round picks to start the rebuilding process. So given the context of this trade, uh, it really makes sense uh, for both teams, I think. Terry McLaurin was traded for a first and third-round pick to a contending team versus a rebuilding team. All right. Well, it's fun to be back with you. Look forward to following the season. Personally, not that you care about my teams, having a pretty rough year for sure. That's why I said I need to go rebuild mode. And even some of my good teams have had just a hard time uh, losing. It's been a pretty frustrating season. But, hey, it's still fun. It's a dynasty freaks. Love it. Love following it. I'm going to continue to report back every week with what's been happening. 
That's a wrap this week for my my freaky friends. Thanks so much for listening. Make it a two-way conversation anytime by contacting me at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com, dynastyfreaks with two E's at gmail.com. Much better on email than Twitter, so that's the best way to get in touch with me. I'd be honored if you take time to rate and review the podcast. In Apple Podcasts, that would mean a lot to me as an independent podcaster. Thanks for listening. I appreciate your support. I do want to become your most trusted independent voice in the Dynasty landscape. Until next time, you know what to do. Go out there. Get freaky. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. We welcome your thoughts and advice. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast or see on the website to help you dominate your league. Justin prides himself in responding to every email, so hit him up anytime at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com and follow him on Twitter at LonghornJustin. Justin.